Well, some of you know this about me, some of you don't. One of my real interests and something I do some other reading and studying on and have been really since I was a teenager is I've always been interested in the way people think. I've always been interested in, in just how the mind works, etc. And this past year was information overload. There was so much to look at, you know, not only scientifically, but psychologically, sociology-wise. And being a follower of Jesus, I love seeing how the Word of God and um, studies and research connect. Now, for me, I don't ever find a conflict between uh, actual science and the Word of God. Now, if you want to talk about theories, yes, there's conflict in theories, but I don't find a conflict in those things, and, they, and it really interests me, and one of the things that really has caught my attention in the last year or so is the whole idea of loneliness and, and its effect on people, and, and that now there's lots of studies about that, and being a follower of Jesus, how that connects to uh, my faith, our faith. So we had a president who many in our country deeply loved and many in our country deeply hated. I could be wrong, but I think we might be lonely without him. <laughs> I mean, what are people going to talk about? What are people going to fight about? I mean, the news stations must be like, oh, we're so glad we got rid of him. And they're like, yeah, but what? the writers are like, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to do? But seriously, between the, the, the pandemic, the virus, the election, uh, the rapid change in direction of our culture, which is another thing that completely fascinates me, I'm deeply concerned with the faith of many followers of Jesus. Uh, Stanford research psychologist. Now, that's not, Stanford is not the bastion of Christian theology. So, uh, Stanford research psychologist. Uh, Kelly McGonigal wrote a best-selling book on the importance of movement. Particularly, she recommends that you walk for a half hour at least every day. You try to walk as much as you can. Don't forget, Jesus was a walker. He, he, he walked around a lot of places. If you're like, oh, I don't really want to walk. One of the best things you can do is, let's say you have a friend, and even if they live far away, is you both put your headsets on, your cell phones on, and you go for a walk together. Just talk as you're, as you're walking together. Uh, she also talks about uh, depression. She's a researcher in the psychological field. She talks about depression and the lies that it tells you. One of the big lies, she says, that it tells you is that you don't matter. And this is depression tells you this. It lies to you. You don't matter. And no one cares about you. She also says the research indicates that loneliness is your brain and your body actually trying to connect you with others. Now, you might say that's absolutely impossible. She says it's the same way the rumbling in your stomach is trying to connect you with food. Your stomach is rumbling or you're getting hangry. And you know what that means to get hangry? You're hungry and you're angry. It's just trying to tell you that you, it's a sign that you need food. And she says that 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 loneliness really is 
our mind and our body telling us not that we should wait for someone to reach out to us, but it's time for us to reach out to others. Here's the shocker. She also claims that loneliness is a sign that you know deep down inside people care about you and that you know deep down inside that people need you. Now, if I were saying this stuff just to a group of people, they would say, don't listen to this goofy pastor. He has no idea what he's talking about. This is Stanford research psychiatrist. So today, we're going to talk about the need that we have for other people. Of course, I said earlier in the announcements, it's an opportunity to sign up for a community group. And the title of our message is Christ's Call to Community. Now, our main focus will be Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let's read them. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So he talks about assembling together. What, what, what does that mean? Well, in Acts chapter 2, we're, we're told that the early church in Jerusalem, as it was being birthed, what they would do is they would assemble in the temple. They'd sort of meet each other in the temple. And then, then they, throughout the week, that it, they would meet each other in houses. Very interesting. The church so, sort of, we get these instructions on Sunday services. They're peppered throughout the letters of the apostles in the New Testament, but we don't get a lot of instruction on what was going on as they were meeting from house to house. The author of Hebrews is unknown. You can debate those things in your own time. Uh, and what, what, why is it called Hebrews? Because it's written to Hebrews, written to people who were raised in Judaism, and some of them were true Christian converts. Others just looked the part. They really were not true converts. They, they were seen around the church or seen around the gatherings, but they were not people who had really put their trust in Jesus. They were not really committed to the Lord Jesus. And the author, as he's writing, makes it obvious to us, he's seen it, many of you have seen it, that sometimes, oftentimes, people leave the faith. They just do. It's just a reality of the faith. The, the Apostle John says that they went out from us because they never really were one of us. Now, for most people, it's a progression. And it begins in chapter 2. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. It, it begins with drifting. And people just start to drift. Some people will say, well, I'm just, I'm just super busy. How many of you are busy? Don't raise your hand. You all are. Everybody's busy. If you're like, I'm not busy, give us a call. We got stuff to keep you busy. Always, always thankful for the people who are not busy. Also, some people say that they have been hurt. Life is hard. It is. It is. We've all been hurt. Life, life certainly is hard. 
Now, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, uh, press into it, is that, are we using that as an excuse for our faith, or is it something we really need to hammer out with somebody? Now, this falling away, so he talks a lot about falling away in, in Hebrews. It, it's called apostasy, apostasy. Now, it's different than what the scripture refers to as apostate teachers. Those are guys that are false teachers. We're not talking about them today. Apostasy is, or it means to fall away from the truth, fall away from the faith. You, you heard it, you kind of even understood it, you, you knew it, but you stopped. An apostate is someone who, who once believed, but now, they're drifting or they have really drifted far away. Now, drifting is hard to see, isn't it? And so he wants to talk to us about an indicator of, of we might be, we might not be drifting. So in chapters 1 through chapter 10, verse 18, the author has been holding up Christ and why he is the better sacrifice. And he's been also warning people about apostasy, and he's asking people, as the scripture asks from us constantly, for a response to the good news of Jesus, a response of true faith. Now, how does the Bible do this? There's various ways that it does it, but I always like to tell you this stuff so when you're reading, you're like, oh, I know what that is. One of the ways that the Bible does is, is it often uses, gives us a, a privilege and responsibility format. In other words, there's, there's a privilege that we all have as Christians. We love that. How many of you love that? We love that. We love that. And that also means there's a responsibility that comes with privilege. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. Spider-Man's uncle ripped it off, said, with great power comes great responsibility. Remember when I first heard that, I'm like, that's Jesus reworded. That's cool. We'll take it. It's true. And so there is a privilege and there is a responsibility. And part of it, of being a follower of Jesus, is we want to live out the responsibility because of how grateful we are and we're motivated by the grace of God to live out that responsibility. We're not, we're not saved by the responsibility. We're not, we don't go to heaven because we're fulfilling the responsibility. It shows that we're on our way. It shows that God has truly done a work inside of us. So then often what happens after the privilege and responsibility format is we get a warning. God says there's a warning if you don't sense the desire to live out that responsibility. So we read verses 24 through 25, but remember when we're reading the Bible, context is king. So if you really want to know what a Bible verse means, go back a few verses and go forward a few verses. We saw that Wednesday night, you, you know, resist the devil, resist the devil. You know, I mean, you, know, you can make it say whatever you want, but, but then he tells us what's, what he means by that in the verses before and the verses afterwards. So, so let's, go, let's go back, because here's the thing. Sometimes people are like, well, why do you have to tell us the bad news, God? Pastor Jim, why do you have to tell us the bad news? Let's say you were sick, 
and, and you had a really bad sickness and the test came back and the doctor was in with you and then you leave and you didn't, the doctor didn't tell you how sick you really were. And, and the nurse says, well, did you tell them how sick they really are? They're going to die if they don't get the treatment. You go, I didn't really want to bum them out. What do we call that? Malpractice. <laughs> yeah, all the, all the decent people said lying. All the attorneys went, malpractice. <laughs> right? And so that's malpractice. And so God doesn't want to, have to do spiritual malpractice on us. He wants to be really honest with us. So he wants to tell us, if he tells us something, he wants to tell us that there's, there's going to be responsibilities about it. So, so if we really want to know what he just meant in in chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, we got to go back a few verses. So let's go back to verse 19. 19 to me seems to be filled with hope. He says, therefore, brethren, having boldness, some of your versions say confidence, to enter the holiest. Now, a Jew would automatically think the high priest going into the most holy place on the day of atonement. But we now have the boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way. So something dramatically has changed, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, Jesus dying, and having a high priest over the house of God. Now, this actually begins in the book of Hebrews, what most Bible scholars call the practical section. After lots of theology, he, he closes the book with, with, with practicalities, and, and, and he talks about how to be connected to God because of the work of Jesus Christ. So the writer says, because of the work of Jesus, true followers of Jesus, those who have turned to God, put their trust in Jesus Christ, turned from their sin to God, trust in Jesus instead of themselves, how they can now enter boldly, with boldness, not obnoxiousness, into the presence of God into the holy place. If you will, we can go right in, as a child can to his father, we can go right in to the presence of God, to the throne room of God. Now before, only the high priest went in once a year on the Day of Atonement, but now he's been teaching us in the first, up, up to chapter 10, verse 18, that because of the great high priest, Jesus, followers of Jesus can actually enter it daily. They can actually go into the throne room of God whenever they want. Now, in chapter 1 through chapter 10, verse 18, this is the, the downside of coming into a book of the Bible in the middle. That's why we generally teach large, large sections for weeks and weeks. In chapter 1 through 10, 18, chapter 10, 18, the author talked about the tremendous cost of this. That to get us to this place where any one of us who trusts in Jesus can go into the throne room of God, that it cost us the blood of Jesus. When we talk about the blood of Jesus, we're not talking about the actual physical blood. We're talking about the, the life and ministry of Jesus and the cross of Christ. And because of that, that makes our response 
not just of faith initially. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can become one today by responding in faith. But it also makes us, makes our response as followers of Jesus to be very important. Now, he, he outlines for us three responses. Three responses. But let's skip them. Let's skip them. And let's go to the end. Actually, we're only going to go to half of the end because it's going to be too long and too much. And, and let's look at the results of apostasy. Let's look at what God says happens to people who walk away from the faith. Now, some people say, did they lose their salvation or did they never have it? I'm more in the never have it camp, but I always say, listen, just walk with Jesus and don't make it your concern. Stay close to Jesus. But he talks about what happens to people who walk away from the faith. So we're skipping ahead to verse 26. And it's kind of scary. I'm being honest with you. He says this, For if we sin willfully, let's just stop right there for a second. Notice how the Bible writers, we've said this many times before, they include themselves. Notice he doesn't say, if you guys do this, you're not doing enough for God. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. No, he says, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Apostasy actually makes you or me, any of us, an enemy of God. We're either children of God by nature or we're enemies of God. We're children of God by grace through faith, and that changes our inner nature, or we are enemies of God. And so apostasy confirms where you are, where I am. He uses then in verse 28 an example from Deuteronomy 17. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And now he calls the witnesses to court. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose he will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? By the way, do you see the Trinity there? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are right there. God's going to judge you because you trampled the blood of Jesus, and when the Holy Spirit testified to your heart, you said, no thanks. Verse 30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Let's stop right there for a second. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been vindicated. You will be judged as being, because of Jesus, 
able to go into eternal life in heaven. So that's good news. But look at verse 31 for those who reject it. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, loved ones, please remember, he's writing this to church people. So when I complain about the church being in America, being in a state in large measure of apostasy, now you know what I'm talking about. And so the Bible writer is clear here, being casual about our sin and being casual about our rebellion against God, from God's point of view, I know this is scary. That's why I only did half of it. God finds it to be insulting to Jesus, insulting to the Holy Spirit who's speaking to our hearts. And he says, for those two things, you should be afraid. You should be afraid. Now let's all take a deep breath for a moment. Because I don't know about you, I read these things and I'm trembling when I read them. The reason I didn't want to end with this is I wanted to (laughs) talk about maybe a way we can avoid it. The scripture is very clear on the quick forgiveness of believer's sins. Can I say that again? Because some of you are still beating yourselves up for sins you committed a long time ago. You're like, I can't believe I did it. You did it. You did it. So the scripture is clear on the quick forgiveness of believer's sins. However, it's scary on the position of if we continue in deliberate, willful sin, which tramples the blood of Jesus. Thinking that our sin is okay, and a lot of Christians will tell you that. A lot of people say they're Christians will tell you that. Thinking it's okay is a sign that we are drifting into apostasy. And and the Bible writer is urging the readers, warning them, and we're part of the Bible readers, not to leave the faith because if you're not careful, you might find yourself outside of grace. It's very clear. To receive the knowledge of the truth and then reject it is to give up, is to say, I don't want the only way of forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God in heaven. The danger here is when, you, when it's a letter written to a church is it tells us that it can happen where? It can happen in church. So people say, I'm very religious. I go to church every week. Okay, great. What does that mean? Do you need to tell me what it, I know the building you go to, that part, I got the, I got the second part. What, what, is, what does it mean that you're religious? And so we want to we really search our hearts because anybody can look, uh, I'm using some of my made-up words. Well, first, it's not a made-up word. We can look really churchy on the outside. And, uh, or my word is churchified. We can look really churchified. I made that word up. 
Don't steal it. Well, you can steal it, but give me credit. Put me in the footnotes of your book. My goofy pastor used to talk about this. We, we, can, we can look really churchy on the outside, and inside, we're not trusting in Jesus. We're, we're trusting in ourselves. Or on the inside, our hearts are, are full of hatred and rebellion. So God uses texts like this not to beat us up, but to get us to check our hearts. Jesus told the religious leaders, hey, man, I'm telling you all this stuff. He would, they were, man, you could have fried an egg on their foreheads. And Jesus goes, I'm telling you all this stuff in John's gospel so you'll be saved. I'm not trying to beat up on you. And so we talked about apostasy. We talked about the danger of falling away. So we want to come back to the middle. And what I want us to see is how the Bible writer teaches us how to stay connected to the Lord and how to, or or some of the ways, how to stay connected to the Lord and how to avoid verse 26 through 31 happening to any of us. So he gives us three exhortations, three things we should do or we must do. They're, They're not optional And they're urgent words. Look at verse 22. First one. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So what does he say? Number one, let us, all of us, let us draw near, let us come to the Lord with a true heart. There's no sense in lying to God. He knows. So let us come with a true heart, wholeheartedly, with real personal devotion, real personal devotion, and without hypocrisy. With not a fake love for God, but a true love for God. So we come with confidence, not in ourselves, but in what Jesus Christ has done and having repented and confessed our sins, he says, you can come with a clean conscience. So the writer is clear, clear, unless you are willing to give it up, unless you are willing to change, unless I'm willing to change, The throne room of God is no place for stubborn and rebellious hearts. Unless you're coming in and saying, I know my heart is stubborn, I know my heart is rebellious. God, please forgive me, I need your help. Unless you're willing to change, I'm willing to change. The throne room of God is no place for an apostate. However, Let's be perfectly clear. If if you are falling away and you know it right now, or maybe you've come back today, know that if that's the case, God is at work and there is a great welcome in the throne room for those who are drifting and want to come home and those who are afraid they have committed apostasy and they want to return to God. Because 
it shows you you haven't. Or maybe you feel like you've been one all your life, and today you can come to Jesus. That's the story of the prodigal son. He was committing apostasy. He wandered away from his father, and then when he came to the lowest point in his life, he said, you know what, what am I doing here? And the scriptures have, many, much, have much teaching on this if you, you really want to catch it in one you know, compact place, read the book of Jude. You know, it, it's a quick, quick read. It's one page in your Bible. Second thing, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the second thing he tells us is the third exhortation or encouragement or command is to is let us hold fast or let us hold on to our faith. We might say, Lord, may we be consistent in our faith in a world and in a church that seems to be falling apart, that seems to be changing its values. I think most of us would say that we've never seen any change as quick as we've seen in the last five to ten years. And a lot of the church is just going along with it. Just going along with it. Not good. Not good. Now, before anyone has time to feel tremendously guilty or tremendously prideful. He tells us right here, we can come to God because he who promised is faithful. So Jesus is faithful to provide you and I with the strength, the stamina, the staying power to stay committed to our faith and to follow Jesus. Now, if you've been here a while, you know this. If you're, if you're new, this is, this is classic Bible teaching. This does not mean that we're passive because these are things he's telling us to do. Right? Draw near to God. Hold fast to your faith. Hold on to your faith. We are not passive. And so the Bible constantly teaches us that tension that works together. They're not opposites. They work together of God's responsibility and our responsibility. So we've just seen two of our responsibilities. Draw near, hold on. So let's go to the third let us, and it is the focus of our study today. And I realize I've been talking a long time to finally get to the point. And let us consider one another. Why? In order to stir up, some versions say to stir up in one another, love and good works. Some of your versions say love and good deeds. So we're supposed to do that for each other. Not like, hey, I got some good stuff for you to do to get it off my plate. That's not what he's talking about. Verse 25 
let me read it through twice, first time without interruption. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So again, from the top. And let us consider one another to stir, to stir up love and good works. Verse 25, not forsaking. Some versions say not giving up. Some versions say not neglecting the assembling, important word, of ourselves together, as is the manner. Some versions say the habit of some. What's he talking about? He's talking about occasional and non-church attendance. That's what he's talking about. And this occasional and non-church attendance has some people what? Drifting into apostasy. That's what's happening. So somehow in the gathering of God's people, in worship and in spurring one another on in our faith, somehow there is power there from God to keep us all from drifting into apostasy. But exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And then, verse 26, he goes into the warnings if you don't do this, if you don't do those three things. So, having put your trust in Jesus, we saw that we're able to come to God in a new and living way, which means not only do we have a new relationship with God, we can enter into his presence but we also have a new relationship with his people. Things are, are very different than they were before. Now, I realize for a lot of you, this is a very different concept than what you grew up with. I grew up in a church where you came late. The service was about 35 minutes long. You came late and you left early to get out of the parking lot early so you didn't have to wait on the long line at the bakery. You think I joke. <laughs> that was really it. Some of you are like, yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> I remember those days. You see, we just don't approach God as individuals. Also, he's telling us that we approach God's people and we are involved in their lives. Like I didn't consider us leaving when I got older, spurring, you know, the person next to me into love and good deeds go, it's the last song, you better get out of here, long line at the bakery. That was not spurring them on to love and good deeds or love and good works. So notice the words. He says, consider, think about this. Think about this. We have a thinking faith. How much, how much time do you really spend thinking about your faith and, and what it means in every decision that you make in your life? Think about your faith. Think about how to stir up your own faith. Think about how to stir up the faith of others. Think about how to exhort people, how to encourage others. These are active words. You, you could say he's actually saying part of your responsibility as a Christian is to help other Christians to stay in their faith. Not, not, not one guy leads or one woman leads the small group and it's her responsibility to keep everybody else in the faith. That's not the way it works. It's everybody's responsibility 
in the church, in the group, in the serving team, in other Christians you know from your past life, you know, past Christian life, maybe where you used to live or something like that. We all have a responsibility to keep one another in the faith. And so the idea here, he's talking about true Christians will be gathering, regularly gathering to strengthen and encourage one another. A lot of times that happens just in, in just, just something you say. And, and somebody in your group is like, wow, like I feel the same way. I thought I was the only one. Now, this can't happen without opportunities to meet. That's why the early church, they were met in the temple, probably a larger group, and in houses, probably in smaller groups. That's why we have church. That's why we have community groups. That's why, why we have uh, other opportunities to meet so we can, we can spur one another on. But also part of spurring one another on to love and good works is challenging people in a loving way. We all make a lot of excuses, don't we? And sometimes we just need to love somebody and just say, you know, man, is, is that really true or is that an excuse? I'm, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to get down on you, but we're supposed to sharpen one another. Is that, is, that really, is that really the deal? But here's the thing. It will never happen unless we participate. So some of you right now, you're like pushing back on me, saying that, well, I don't, I don't really want to do that. I don't really want to do that. Now, I realize it's a little different now, the way church is now, but I just want to tell you something. I feel ripped off by you. I do. Because I, I feel that if I'm supposed to do that for you, then you're supposed to do it for me. And you're supposed to do it for them. And for them. And for them. And for them. And they're supposed to do it for you. And for you. And for you. And for you. You say, I don't think I can do it. You know, sometimes it happens in the, in the most incredible different ways. I won't say what it was, but Pastor John told me something before the service that my good friend Pastor Tom, who I was talking with yesterday, had said to him when he used to work at that church. And he said, it wasn't easy at the time, but it changed my life. <laughs> this, is, this is incredible stuff. Now, this is, to be honest with you, this is a, one of the big you-must-attend-church verses. It's because of that word assembling is the word epi-synagogue. Does that sound familiar to you? Go to the synagogue. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a word of an official assembly. So he's saying don't neglect the official assembly of God's people. Luke 4.16 says, As his custom was, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So if you, were, you walked into Nazareth on a Saturday and you were like, yeah, I wonder where Jesus is, they would go, he's at the synagogue. He's always at the synagogue. <laughs> like, you want to find Jesus? He's either going to the synagogue or walking to the synagogue or walking home from the synagogue or at home enjoying the Sabbath. People say constantly, well, I don't, I don't need to be part of a church to be a Christian. I don't need other Christians. You do. Well, that's your opinion. No, he just told us we do. <laughs> he just told us we do. 
Well, I don't like church people. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, listen, relationships are not easy all the time, are they? No. We all can be pretty prickly sometimes. You know, and, and, and so, yeah, they're hard. So, so if you don't like church people, might, now might be a good time to go. Because <laughs> I really, I really want to ask you this question. I got a lot of soul-searching questions. If, if you don't like church people or being around church people, or now we have even internet, you know, discussions that we can have and all kinds of different stuff that we can do. How are you assembling with the people of God and how are you stirring them up to love and good works? How? And there's over 40 one another's, things we're supposed to do to and for one another and receive from one another. How are we doing those things if we're not involved in other followers of Jesus, if we're not involved in the family of God? Now, this is hard, but this is why God tells us these things, because God never wants to be guilty of spiritual malpractice. The Lord just said, when you say you don't need those things, so if you answered verse 24 and verse 25, I don't need that. Well, then what did he tell you in 26 through 31? That you're trampling the blood of my son and you're insulting the Holy Spirit. The Word of God makes no provision for cowboy Christians. Yeah, I'm out on the range, riding my own, doing my own thing, just me and nature. Close, regular contact with people who are followers of Jesus is a necessary component of the Christian life. God is a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means he is deeply relational. Deeply relational. And we are created in the image of God. What does that mean? That we were created relational beings. So our faith generally... Now, there are... There are exceptions, but they are very rare. Our faith generally cannot be done at a distance. Now, right now, things are very different. And there are some of you watching online who should really stay home and watch online because of some health issues. We want you back when it's safe to come back or to leave your house or whatever. We, we understand that. We understand that. And there are people who are in homes and, and need visits from Christians. They can't, they can't get out. Or maybe they don't even have a way to, to contact the outside world. But they need people to come see them. But, but that's... Mo that's not most people. And 
a lot of people are backing away from some of the things that God says will help you stay in the faith. And I have encouraged you before, and I will encourage you again. I would double down on my efforts in this season. Whatever I was doing before, I'm trying to double up on it. Because I know the effect of loneliness and isolation and I know the effect that all of this is having on us, and we still have more time to go. And again, I would double down my efforts by grace-motivated effort. I would think about what are the benefits that God will accrue to me, not to gain his favor, but how is God going to be growing me and using me and, and developing me and, and letting me experience his closeness. We're drawn near to God. We learned about Wednesday night. How's he going to do that if I practice the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading, prayer, being around other followers of Jesus? Now I'm going to really rub some people the wrong way. You're like, you've been doing it for a while there, Jim. Well, I don't like masks. I don't either. I don't like social distancing. Let me tell you something, then. I, those masks hide your mouth, but they don't hide your eyes when you're crying during the message, and I see you. And so many of you, I just want to walk up to you and give you a big hug. I hate social distancing more than I hate masks. Well, I don't like all this stuff. And I'm not coming back to church, or I'm not going to be involved in anything. I'm not doing any kind of Zoom group. I'm not doing any virtual group. I'm not doing any of this stuff until it's all back to the way I want it. Please, my dear friend, listen to yourself. Listen to yourself. Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place for your sins, and you are complaining about the conditions. I say this in all sincerity, in all love, and in all firmness. Do you sound more like a committed follower of Jesus Christ or someone who is drifting into apostasy? Which do you sound more like? You've given up on this country because of the presidential election? Shame on you. We could have a billion presidents. Doesn't matter. We have one king. And it's in him we trust. We have a God-ordained responsibility to help others walk with the Lord. Those who are doing well, those who are doing eh, and those who are doing poorly. Because without the mutual encouragement, without the mutual sharpening, we can't grow without it.
because there are people, and you know who they are. They're probably friends of yours who are on the road to apostasy. We have a responsibility to the kingdom. You think of so-and-so, they haven't been around, or you haven't heard from them, or, and you, you, you're, you're, you go, oh, well, I'm not sure if I feel led to reach out. Maybe you're different than me. I have never, ever felt like I had to feel led to do a responsibility. A responsibility is a responsibility. It is not something I feel led to do. Notice the word feel. That's the problem. A responsibility is a responsibility. Now, some of you are pushing back. Oh, that's the church's job. You're the church. That's the pastor's job. Let me tell you something. When someone is on their way to apostatizing, guess what? They will not take our calls. They will not. They'll take yours, but they won't take mine. And how often, when we do finally get to speak to them, they go, I'm so glad I got to speak to you. I can't believe I wasted the last six months feeling this way. But thank God God's graces are new every morning. Notice the end of verse 25. He says, so much more. Note the urgency as you see the day approaching, the day of Jesus' return as judge. The Bible writers telling followers of Jesus throughout the ages, as we see things getting worse, and I know we think, oh, it could never get any worse than this. Really? Really? Daniel living in Babylon? Come on. Nebuchadnezzar coming in and leveling Jerusalem? Come on. The Jews living in Egypt when Moses was alive? Come on. Are we that soft? I don't mean to be mean, but are we, sometimes I say to myself, am I that soft, God, that I'm going to let these little things derail me? See, all throughout biblical history, people are being pulled from the faith, and the Lord says what? Don't you stop gathering, and don't you stop your brother and sister from gathering. So maybe if it's, it's three of you meeting for coffee or something like that, or having three of you just having a call together. So you know what? We have a lunch hour. We're, we're in a small group. We're in a community group. We serve on Sundays. We go to church on Sundays. But why don't we, hey, listen, why don't we every Tuesday during our lunch hour, just let's, just, let's make it simple. Let's make it simple. No preparation. We're going to read a chapter of the Bible. We're going to each talk about for, for five or ten minutes what's going on in our lives, and then we're going to pray, and we'll be back to our desks and back to our work. That's simple. That's simple. As, as the pressures mount up, as time and money are tight, it's like God wants to say to us, now's not the time to, to give up. Now is the time to get going. And remember, our, friend, for our friends and family members and coworkers, they are watching us now more than ever. Does your faith really make a difference? Can you really get through this thing different than everybody else? The Lord says to us today, don't, don't get slack. 
gather more, do whatever you need to do. But it's not just gathering, it's not just casual friendships. There's a place for that, but it's being active in the mutual encouragement of one another. And, And the technology now has provided incredible ways for this. Could you imagine if we didn't have all the technology we had? Quite simply, God's calling us all to watch out for one another in love. And and friends, that really can't happen with people you don't know. Well, I don't like what the church does. People come to me sometimes and they go, I have a complaint. I always go, oh, no, this is the we love you, Pastor Jim line. This is not the complaint line. (laughs) The complaint line is the one that goes around the corner of the building. And they go, it's only one complaint. I go, well, only one. I've got thousands. (laughs) You see, friends, it's easy to be critical. Critics are a dime a dozen. As a matter of fact, if you paid a dime for a dozen critics, you overpaid. (laughs) They are a dime a dozen. But people who want to push the, push the mission forward, they're getting harder and harder to find. Seriously, do you want to be critical? Or do you want to be used by God for the kingdom? Wh- which do you want? Don't, don't you... Do, do, you want to be, do you want to be critical or do you want to be really used by God to change the trajectory of somebody's life? We, we are called to something much bigger than people who don't follow Jesus. We are part of a heavenly movement that is united together in Jesus Christ. Just give me a few more moments. It's like the Apostle Paul when he says, you know, as he starts to wind up his letters, you know you got another few chapters to go. I just want to meddle a little. You're like, meddle a little? My goodness, Pastor Jim. This is like the sermon on meddling. For years, sociologists have been telling us that we are living in perhaps the most individualistic, generation and country the world has ever seen. What are they going to say about this time period? Oh, my goodness. Our boundaries, which are necessary in certain ways, are like the Great Wall of China or walls that are going up all over the world that are designed to keep people out. For most people, for most Christians, we think our weakness is the problem. I don't really think our weakness is the problem. I think our perceived strength is the problem. We think we are stronger than we really are. It's easy to read Hebrews chapter 10 and think, I have no time for this. And if that's what you're thinking right now, there's one important point that you've missed. We all need help. We all need help. 
Because if we don't get the help that God has provided to us through the body of Christ, we're going to end up in verses 26 through 31. So one of the things that God has done, he's built a safeguard of the local church and the gathering of his people to keep us in the faith. I mean, you're never going to convince me otherwise. You're going to have a tough time convincing me otherwise. The, the purpose of the church is to gather to worship God. That is ultimately the purpose of the church. But to keep us in the faith, worship, the teaching of God's word, and, and the love we share among one another are, if you will, guardrails to keep us from falling asleep and drifting and going over the cliff. It's easy to believe the lie that we don't need the people of God. And I think God might say to us today, without them, you're not going to see a lot of things. How often has it been that our, our interactions with others reveal our own sin? How often is it our, reaction, our interactions with others reveal our ugly hearts and our need for God's help? I've been in groups where somebody called me up and said, you know, I really wasn't very nice to that person last night. What should I do? And I said, um, call them up and apologize. And, you know, they send me a text. I did. I think it went well. And the next week, the person they were mean to comes in. They're not there yet. And they're going, we're so-and-so. I love that brother. <laughs> a week ago, they couldn't stand each other. But God used a disagreement to bring them together. You see, it's very easy for us to be like little children. Those of you who have had little children, you know what it's like when you're trying to teach them something trying to teach him how to ride a bike. I know how to ride a bike. <laughs> You're like, well, all right, still put the knee pads, the elbow pads, the helmet on. <laughs> you don't know how to ride a bike. Right? You, you try to tell, teach them something. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> no, you don't. You're a fool. You don't know what you're doing. But we're the same way. By his grace, he shows us through other people often our flaws help us to see. It's, it's, easy, it's easy to act like phonies, even in church. You come in and somebody says, hey man, how you doing? I'm fine. I'm just doing fine, brother. How are you? When you're dying on the inside. You're dying on the inside. Because your life has not panned out the way you thought it would. And what you don't know is that's almost everybody. And the few that it's not are probably lying. We close our faith discussions with things like, I'm busy. Oh, they can't do it. They're busy. Why don't you just love somebody and say, well, why are you so busy? Why are you too busy for the things of God? Why? Well, I've been hurt. I'm sorry to hear that. Can you please tell me how you've been hurt? I'd love to. Well, you know, I, I had a responsibility at church, and I, and I kept not showing up. And they told me, can you let us know if you're not going to show up? That hurt me. 
You see, we don't love people when they give excuses that have no validity. We love people when we say, hey, just can you, can you explain that to me? Let, let me understand that. We've had so many people that have come to our church that have said they've been hurt. And, and, and when they thought about it, it wasn't quite, maybe they misunderstood some things from other people. A maturing Christian is someone who admits that they need others to help them stay in Christ. I, I need others to help me keep my sin and my salvation out in front of me. We all need others to help us to use the gifts that God gave us. Some of you are like, I don't know what my gifts are. All you need to do is ask the people in your small group. They know because they see it in operation every time they see you. A few more questions and we're done. I promise. Think about this. How can someone say, I love God, but I don't want to be with his people? How can someone say, I, I love God, but I don't, I don't long for hearing his word proclaimed to the people of God? You know, the experts have been telling us one of the best ways to get through this current pandemic season is to keep your routine so even right now, if you're watching online and, and you have a routine of, of every Sunday when the, sched, when the service starts that you sit in front of the screen and you watch, you are to be commended. You're keeping the routine. Sunday is the Lord's day. I'm not just watching it so I can you know, have a halfway intelligent answer for my small group. How can someone say, I love Jesus, but not want to be around when the Spirit of Jesus, as the Holy Spirit is called in Galatians, is at work? Did you know that even Jesus prayed this for you? John 17, he's praying to his father the night before the crucifixion. He says, I do not pray for these alone, talking about the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. We're in the Bible. Pretty cool, huh? Verse 21, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Today, friend, I'm pleading with you, if you are not a follower of Jesus, come to Jesus if you never have. Fall into the hands of the living God now with joy instead of in the next life in judgment. Simply be willing to turn from your sins. Turn to God. Don't trust in yourself that you're a good person to get to heaven. Put your trust in Jesus. Or if you have wandered or you know you are wandering right now, come back to Jesus to avoid the horrors we read about, and the joyful experience that awaits you. Hear Christ's call to community and experience the continuing power of God. And may we all be stirred to love and good works as we gather together. May we all come into the presence of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus made possible 
by the life, death, death, and resurrection of Jesus for any and all who will put their trust in him. Well, let's stand and pray.